0: Thanks for joining us. To keep up with the latest news and podcasts, visit www.propellchurchaz.com. Now get ready for a great message from Pastor J. So a couple of announcements before we move on here. Um, You might have noticed, uh, well, if you're new with us, you may not know that I'm not usually the face that's up here um, for Sunday mornings. Pastor Jathan is out of town. He's checking out a college with his son, so he sends you his greetings. Um, And a couple more things, Uh, school supply outreach. We're collecting supplies today and next Sunday. Please don't forget to bring in your supplies. Um, We got a flyer that there are a list of things that we need, Um, hand sanitizer, wipes, and stuff like that. And also um, the Meet the Teach outreach. Um, If you would like to help out with that, we're gonna have, uh, I think, a little tent out here where we hand away hot dogs and refreshments to um, people as they come in and out of meet the teacher here at this school. It's a great opportunity to let people know that we're here um, and to reach out to people. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, please let us know. There's a sign up at the back of the table. So today we're going to talk about um, being like a child. I've entitled the message today, Being Like a Child. Um, The idea for this message came as I was reading a sermon written by George MacDonald and uh, George MacDonald was a 19th century Scottish uh, author, and he was a poet, and uh, he was a minister as well. And he actually liked to write books a lot. He, he wrote um, fantasy books uh, that had a message to it. And he was actually the inspiration behind people like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. You guys know who they are. They wrote a lot of um, Christian-based um, fantasy stories. So it's from that that I'm drawing this morning. He wrote a sermon called Child in the Midst. And so I encourage you all to maybe check out some of his writings sometime. Um, they're, they're very thoughtful and they're very deep. So primary text that we're gonna be drawing from here this morning is Matthew chapter 18, uh, the first five verses of that. And um, this, is, this account is actually paralleled in the other gospels too. But I wanna start here with Matthew chapter 18, um, verse one. So prior to this point that we're, gonna, that we're about to read, Jesus was transfigured on the mountain uh, with three of his disciples and uh, the day came where they came down from the mountain, and they discovered a crowd. There was a crowd of people, and they were, um, they were, they were busy doing something, saying something, and a man jumps out of the crowd, and he says, Jesus, Jesus, my son, he's, he's possessed by an evil spirit, can you help me? Well, we find out that the disciples had been trying to do it, but they weren't able to. And Jesus goes ahead, and he, he casts the evil spirit out of the boy, And so for for whatever reason, that seemed a little bit later to draw out a conversation amongst the disciples as to who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so um, it's there that we pick up when Jesus uh, responded to their question, who's the greatest? It says this, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so he called a little child to him. Come here. My son graciously agreed to be an example for me this morning, so, (laughs) yes. So Jesus called a child, a little child, and placed the child among them, and he said, truly I tell you that unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. You can go sit down. Thank you. Thank you. Give him a hand. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, he's ever stood up in front of people before, but did a good job, buddy. So before we get going and talking about this and breaking it open, I want to dedicate this message to maybe the old souls in the room, um, not necessarily old in age, but those of us who are old in our soul who maybe mistakenly left some of the positive aspects of childhood behind um, some time ago. So what was it about this child? And Jesus decided that he was going to call up a child to teach a lesson. Um, but why did he use a child in this instance? He could have, he could have just said things that, that we read, he told the disciples in other places, you need to be like a servant, the greatest servant. Or he could have just said, you guys need to be humble. But that, that didn't seem to be enough. And I think that there's more buried in this example for us to learn from when Jesus called up a child. And the point that I want to make today, I guess... The point of this message is, I want to talk about the characteristics of a child that are Godlike, um, and try to help draw us back into those characteristics if we've walked away from them, because we can easily lose the good characteristics of childhood when we grow up. Um, they can slip away very quickly. Now, what I'm not going to be talking about today is, is childhood. You know, childhood is not always a good thing um, in this world. Uh, Some of us have the experience of having both our parents and and raising us and protecting us um, in a good environment. Others of us us in this room may not have had both parents or maybe didn't have any parents. So I'm not not talking about childhood because um, bad things happen and um, even child likeness can be chased away from children. So I'm not talking about that. Um, I also want to mention that I'm not trying to contradict other things that Paul is saying Um, like in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians where he talks about leaving childish ways behind him. We as Christians need to grow up. We need to mature. We need to um, come into the fullness of what God has for us. So I'm not trying to contradict that. But not everything, because not everything about childishness is good. Um, But obviously not everything about turning into into an adult in this fallen um, and sin corrupted world is good either. Because Jesus, who was speaking to adults, said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that to me, it struck me as a very serious statement. You guys remember when Jesus also said, if you don't forgive men when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father can't forgive you when you sin against him, which is a serious statement. I find that this statement is along those same lines. If we're not like a child, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, I mean, this, this is part of this idea is what, why I, I'm bringing this to you today because I was thinking about that and it's, it's, it's a serious thing and I wanted to know what Jesus was talking about when he brought a child and said we need to be like him. So as we grow, unfortunately our sin nature can grow up too and lead us in the wrong direction. We're gonna talk about that. So Mark records, um, as opposed to Matthew, Mark records that the town that they were in at the time was Capernaum, which was uh, Peter's hometown. And um, some people think that it could have maybe even been one of Peter's children that Jesus picked up and used as an example. So the characteristics of this child, this protected child, and I, I think that this child probably was raised in a good environment, Peter and his wife possibly, um, who protected the child and, and loved him and bringing him up. So Jesus sat this type of child in front of everybody to see. And so what, we're going to talk about the characteristics that Jesus was lifting up for them to see is valuable and maybe some of the characteristics that the disciples developed in adulthood that isn't so good. We're going to talk about three different characteristics um, that children have that we can lose as adults. And the first one I want to talk about today is innocence. And I'm not saying that children are are basically good and that they do everything right. Um, They're they're prone to doing wrong things too. Um, They're prone to selfishness and they're born... From us, and we're progeny of Adam and Eve, so they have a disconnect in their relationship naturally with God. Um, so, but like I was saying before, with proper training and protection, a child knows not to even look for an evil path. So the child, again, that Jesus held up in the house, a well-protected, a well-trained child, whether it was Peter's or not, by virtue of the lack of his experience, the lack, the lack of any child's experience has in the world, it assumes an innocence about it. And that kind of innocence, we adults can see and we can value that. So if you think for a moment about what we as adults do when our own child or other children are exposed to something obscene, so something, something bloody or gory in nature or something sexual in nature or some foul language, when that happens, what do we as adults do um, when, when that presents itself? I think all of a sudden, we become indignant and we all of a sudden lift up our standards of purity and all of a sudden we, we fulfill what Jesus um, told his disciples before he sent them out. We, we become as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves in that moment because we know instinctively that a child should not be witnessing something obscene. So what I wanna draw out of this is that God values innocence. We know it's valuable in a child. So, we should know that God values it in us as well. Let's go to the scriptures in Psalm chapter 24, verses three through four. Psalmist said, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, an innocent heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. One of the beatitudes that Jesus gave us on the mountain, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. James, in his letter to the church, says that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the orphans and widows in their distress, and oftentimes we'll look at this verse and we focus on that part of it. Look after the orphans and widows in their distress, which we need to do. We need to love and be kind. But there's an and there. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To keep yourself from from losing your innocence. So What do we as adults do when something obscene presents itself and a child isn't around? Do we um, turn away from it? Or do we turn toward it with a little curiosity? Do we reject it? Or do we tolerate it? Now, I'm not saying we need to cower in fear of things, and I'm not saying that there aren't situations that we need to be able to handle that children can't. um, But I'm just asking the question, You know, what do we do when something obviously obscene um, is coming into these eyes and ears? I'm just asking the question. Because if God values innocence in children, he values it in us. He values it in us. One more scripture, if later on in James, in his letter, he writes this in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. When you lose your innocence, you become an enemy of God. You know, again, James is not saying here that we can't be a friend with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. He's not, not saying that at all. He's saying that we become an enemy of God when we befriend the ways of people who neither know God nor seek him. So we need to maintain that innocence. It's childlike, you know, think about it, the next time you look at a child, the next time you feel your own reaction when something, some some bad word is stated and the child's present. Think about that and how God values that. So innocence is the first characteristic. Next one I wanna talk about is humility. Another characteristic of a well-trained child, protected child, is humility. Now humility doesn't seem to be a natural thing which come as no surprise to any of us, but I think it can be learned in various ways. And I think children learn it quickly for, for a few reasons. Um, humility can come to a person when it's perceived that those around him or her are superior in some ways. So a couple months ago, I had the opportunity to run for the first time an organized 5K uh, with my son Isaiah, my older son Isaiah. And for those of you who don't know, I'm a runner. I love to run, um, even to a fault because I like to run even when it's hot outside and people chastise me for that. Understandably so, but I just, I love it. I love to run. Um, but I had never done an organized 5K before. And this was Isaiah's first organized one as well. And um, so, so we signed up for it. We, um, we got there. There was a whole bunch of people there of all shapes and sizes, tall people, short people, uh, skinny people, not so skinny people. Um, and so God bless them for being out there, you know, but we're doing something. Um, But we get going, we get to the starting line, and this course, it uh, it was kind of a circuit, but you just ran one direction to the halfway point, and then you come back uh, and finish at the same place that you start. So they they told everybody in the beginning that the faster guys need to be out in front so, you know, they can do their thing and get their good time, and the rest you can be in back. So I committed to stay with Isaiah for this 5K run, um, partially because I had no idea what competition to expect and you know, I wanted an excuse to just kind of hang back. <laughs> but, um, so the fast guys take off and you know, the rest of us start to take off and so Isaiah and I are going and we get maybe two-thirds or three-quarters of the way to the halfway point and sure enough, we see someone coming back, this young guy, he's 20 years old, he's moving, he's going fast and he passes us. I'm like, man, I wonder what time that guy's gonna get. So Isaiah and I, um, we reach the halfway point, we come on back, and he did really well, by the way. He got like under 25 minutes, so I'm very proud of him for that. I have to dote on him a little bit. Um, But so at the end, they're handing out the awards, they're doing first place, second place, and third place for everybody. And uh, this guy, um, this young guy, this 20-year-old guy, um, claims the first prize victory for his age group, and um, I find out that he ran that 5K in under 16 minutes. Uh, I don't know if any of you know, you know how fast time or how good a good time is when you run a 5K, but 15, 16 minutes is really good. That guy was moving, I mean that, uh, it was incredible. I had my own personal goal to run one in under 20, which I think is, is an attainable goal, but this guy just blows it out of the water, shaves five minutes, four or five minutes off of that. So what came out of that in my own heart and mind? It's humbling. You see somebody superior to you in some way, and what do you do? You get get humbled by that. And so if you think about a child, they're almost constantly being humbled by things like that, by the big impressive things that we as adults can do. You know, we can change oil in cars. We can can go buy a bunch of groceries when it's busy at the grocery store all by ourselves. We can lift up a five-gallon bucket. We can text 50 words per minute. They're impressed by that. (laughs) But... But they're always seeing us do these things. And so when a child sees its own weakness in contrast to an adult's strength, um, it develops a respect for it and out of that comes humility. Now I want to camp for a little bit on this notion of humility and talk about some some features that come out of humility. Um, And the first feature I want to draw out of this is that when you're humble, you're teachable. Um, Humility gives a child the hallmark ability to be teachable. Uh, we all value that in a child. They don't, they don't come with assumptions. They don't come with this air about them like they know everything. They just come because they want to learn from you. They're not, they're, generally speaking, they're not afraid to learn from you. They just, they know they don't know and that's just the way it is. So they're teachable. And I think that's something that we adults should be as well. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 20, Solomon writes, whoever gives heed to instruction prospers and blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. So it's good to heed instruction. The next feature I wanna talk about is trusting. Is trusting, when you're humble, you're generally trusting of those above you. So a young child, especially with, um, for their parents and grown-ups, they tend to give us the benefit of the doubt whenever we're telling them about something. So the things that come out of the mouth, they just kinda of believe, they soak in, they trust that what we're saying is in fact the truth. Unfortunately, that's even true when we're being sarcastic and they don't pick up on that. They're not wise to this cultural sarcasm that we love so much and, and make a lot of fun out of, but um, they trust us. You got to be careful what you tell a child because they're trusting. What about us? Well, we should trust our father too. We should. He, he is 100% trustworthy all the time. He doesn't speak lies. He's not He's not sarcastic. I don't remember a single time in the scripture where God was sarcastic. God delivers truth straight to us. But, you know, as we grow into adults, we have this tendency to kind of lose that and um, we, we seem to think that maybe taking the reins when it comes to some life's decision is a better idea or, or you know, saying, God, I, I got this um, or, you know, we're scared, we're fearful in a certain situation so what do we do? We, we kind of, Um, pull into ourselves and do what we think is best. And sometimes we just need to trust God. Again, that comes from humility. Proverbs 3, 5, and in your notes it says 1620. I apologize for that. That's not right. It's actually um, Proverbs 3, verse 5. It, It tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And in all our ways we need to submit to him and he will make our path straight. So trusting in the Lord is uh, something we need to come to 100%. So one last feature of humility that I want to draw out is that, just in children, in particular, is that they're they're at peace. Um, now I'm not saying that children are always peaceful. If you're an adult, <laughs> if you're, you've been a parent for any length of time at all, you know that sometimes when a child walks in the room, there's not a, a mist of peace that that flows around. There's there's a lot of angst. You know, if they don't get what they want, they're Uh, They make everybody know in the room. I'm not saying that they're always peaceful, but I'm saying that young and well trained children aren't burdened with anxieties, and so therefore they're at peace. They know mom and dad, they trust mom and dad, so they're at peace. They don't fear the world like we do, they don't fear the glances of other people they don't know. They don't know how to freak out about tomorrow. So they sleep in peace. They trust us, they trust, and so they sleep in peace. The psalmist writes in in chapter four, verse eight, in peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. In peace I will lie down and sleep. Why? For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to carry the burden of anxieties or the weight of life or whatever our circumstances is alone. We have a father who sees the big picture and he's gonna take care of us regardless of what happens, does that mean we'll never encounter pain? No, we'll encounter pain. It's part of this world right now because of sin, but he will take care of us and see us through to the end. So humility is a characteristic as well that God values, highly values. And just to cite some more scripture to back this up, um, in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, Isaiah says, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever whose name is holy i live in a high and holy place but also with the one who's contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite paul writes in romans chapter 12 verse 3 for by the grace given to me i say to every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith god has distributed to each of you proverbs 16 verse 19 says better to be lowly in spirit Along with the oppressed, than to share plunder with the proud. You know, I'm, um, I'm 36 years old now, and you know, as we all go through life, we, we encounter these, um, these things that God will draw out and try to get rid of in our hearts, things that don't align with His will, that shouldn't be there. Um, and since I've been in my 30s, um, pride, pride has been what God is trying to work on me in my heart. And I don't know if pride is maybe the last bastion of what God tries to clean out of us when we choose to follow him. Um, And maybe pride is the root of everything else um, that we have problems with. But um, humility is hard. And I just want to acknowledge that it's not an easy thing. We have this natural tendency not to be humble, but to be selfish and greedy. So humility is something that God values in a child and he values it in us. So the last characteristic of a child that I want to talk about this morning, spend a little bit more time on, um, is that a child has a desire to please. And I'm so grateful, you know, for all the songs we sang in worship talking about how our Father delights in us and how we delight in Him. I think a child has a desire to please, especially their their parents. And I'd like to begin this talk on on this desire, this characteristic of a child with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, where we're going to read from, he was considering the parable of the talents that Jesus was telling everybody, you know, for those who use their talents well. Um, Jesus said that the master told them, well done, good and faithful servant. So, so C.S. Lewis was pondering about this, this parable, and he says this. <laughs> I always have to check myself, because when I, when I read from C.S. Lewis, I have, to, I have to speak in an English accent. I won't do that this morning, <laughs> but... Just know that I did think about it. I'm I'm not doing it. He said, I suddenly remembered, I'm thinking about about this parable, that no one can enter heaven except as a child. And nothing is so obvious in a child, not in a conceited child, but in a good child, as its great and undisguised pleasure in being praised. Why do they like that? They like pleasing us. And again, for us parents here, um, you don't have to be a parent for long before you can see something change in your child's face when they recognize that you're pleased with them. Something changes. And there's, there's a unique face even that, that when it comes over them, when you're pleased with them, it's like all, all the other anxieties or whatever else they're worried about in the world just kind of melts away. And there's, there's a joy that just shines in their face and you can recognize that when you're pleased with them. So, um, recently, a few months ago, I had the opportunity to take my kids to work with me. Uh, again, for those of you who don't know, I work for an aerospace defense company, so they opened up the doors and um, the family came, and so the, the kids come, and they had a lot of cool exhibits there, a lot of cool, they had two big rocket engines they were showing to everybody. They had a, an aerodynamics display with Superman in the wind tunnel, the kids thought that was cool, and they, they had a model rocket launch where the kids could sit at the console and you know, click the buttons like we do uh, with a real launch for rockets. And um, they had a great time with that. But what I, a, so after we did all that, we went up to my office. And, um, and they will tell you that the favorite, their favorite part of coming to my workplace wasn't all that cool stuff that we had um, in the base, in the work areas with, with uh, the rocket engines. But they will tell you that their most favorite part was when they came into my office. And the reason for that is because all throughout the years, they have made me stuff. They've colored pictures. They've, they've made art crafts. They've, um, they've made little dioramas. And I keep some of that stuff in my office. And so when they come into my office, again, in, in, in that face of pure joy just kind of comes over them. When they see that what they did was valuable to me, that I was pleased with them to the extent that I would show it to other people, they loved it. They loved it, they were full of joy. They were full of that. And I think being praised, well, I don't wanna get ahead of myself, I wanted to make the statement that the simple truth that the father's delighted, that their father's delighted with them brings them unparalleled and unstained joy um, to the children. And so being praised, I think, is a desire that we keep. The desire to be praised is a di- desire that we keep into adulthood, we want to please people. We want to, some of us more than others, um, but we want to please people. We want those who we look up to to respect us and to take pleasure in what we do. I think that this is even a God-given desire uh, that's only completely and properly fulfilled um, when God himself takes pleasure in us. So David was a man after God's own heart, right? All throughout the Psalms, we read things like this in Psalm 27, um, verse seven through 10. Uh, Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. David wanted to please God. So a man after God's own heart wanted to please God. Or we can consider the words of Paul when he was writing to the Philippian church in chapter three and verse eight. Paul said that what is more, I consider everything a loss because it's surpassing greatness, the surpassing worth, worth to me, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul wanted to please God. It was a desire of his to do that. And in fact, I wanna just take a little side note here. I think that the desire to please God is the essence of what the fear of the Lord is really about. You know, when you read about the fear of the Lord in the Proverbs, how it's an important thing, how it's the beginning of wisdom, and even how in the Old Testament we're told to fear God. I think that desiring to please God is the essence of this. Um, One of the best definitions I've ever seen of the fear of the Lord comes from George MacDonald uh, when he was writing in a different sermon called Consuming Fire, He said this, the fear of God will cause a man to flee, not from God, but from himself, not from him, but to him, the father of himself, in terror, lest he should do wrong, do him wrong or his neighbor wrong. So, (laughs) take it. (laughs) So, it's about pleasing God. We're afraid when we fear God, we don't fear being near him, we fear being away from him. We fear that we're gonna offend him or displease him in some way. That is a proper fear of the Lord. So not only is it right for us to want God to delight in us, but I think God himself also wants, he himself wants to delight in us. He wants that. I was reading from the prophet Zephaniah Uh, this last week, and um, something that God spoke um, about Jerusalem just hits this point perfectly. So God God here is speaking through Zephaniah about the day, day with the capital D, the day of Jerusalem, when he comes back and restores Jerusalem, which hasn't happened yet. And he says this to Israel. He says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you In His love, He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. He'll rejoice over you with singing. You know, when I have thought about God in the past, I usually don't think of Him singing. But you know, I wondered. I wondered why I don't picture that because if He made us with the ability to make music and sing, am I to think that He Himself can't make music? God will sing over us. He'll sing over us, and you know. As I was thinking about it, I'm just wondering. Maybe during creation, when He was speaking, maybe it was a song. I don't know. We're not told, but God sings. God Himself takes pleasure in praise. So it's interesting. Brent already um, talked about this when he was going through the offering short um, about the situation in Genesis chapter four with Cain and Abel. But I want to draw something out uh, of this verse that he that is a little bit different. So if we go back to Genesis 4:4, 4, 4, we're told that Abel offered an offering, um, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, and it says that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Again, the Lord delighted in that and what Abel gave to Him. He delighted in that. And going back to the law in the Old Testament, uh, Moses writes in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, and this is God speaking. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God. There is the fear of the Lord to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. As Psalmist says in Psalm 103, chapter chapter 103, verse 20 through 22, he says, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey the word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Why would, why would that be recorded if God didn't like our praise? Why would, why would that be there? Of course he likes it. The Lord delights in our praise. And I imagine in much the same way as we, that we as parents delight it when our children um, praise us. You know, sometimes my son will see me doing something and he'll say, Dad, you're so strong. Or, Dad, how do you do that? I don't understand how you do that. And, and he's like, that's amazing. I'm like, well, not really, but Okay. <laughs> But, but I like it when he praises me. How much more does God? The Lord delights in that. In fact, I think one of the greatest joys that we can have, child or adult, in this world um, is in pleasing our Father. So childlike and selfless desire to please is a characteristic that God values. Um, but there's a flip side to the desire to please that I just want to briefly draw out here. Before we move on, um, something can happen to us as we grow up. Um, that unstained joy can quickly become stained. And as C.S. Lewis put it, um, it can become the deadly poison of self, poison of self-admiration. Um, the fact that others delight in us can quickly change into becoming us, liking that they're pleased with us too. I like what I get back um, when, I, when I praise. Um, if you look at what happens to a lot of young people, um, probably all of us, but, but like especially famous, you know, people that become famous when they're really young, what happens to them? At some point, the legitimate pleasure of pleasing mom and dad um, and receiving their honor from them uh, isn't enough and gets replaced by uh, the illegitimate pleasures of fame and fortune and fleeting evil desires. So that desire to please um, it, it, made it, it made a switch that God never intended it to make. It switched from being like this to like this because it becomes more about what you get back. And Jesus is not leading us to this place. Um, I think he's telling us by using this child as an example that being like, like this is headed in the wrong direction. And it doesn't take fame for that to happen. Like I said, it can happen to us all. Um, but losing a pure desire to please those around, those around us and exchanging it for, um, to gaining a false sense of self-worth is a trap. It's a trap. And I think that's part of what was being said when Jesus brought a child. So let's avoid this trap and make, and make pleasing our Father the end in and of itself that we seek, not just a means to the end, not, not even so that, so that God gives it back to us. Let our joy be in praising our Father for his own sake, and not replace it with a cheap substitute. So, my own personal goal that I've had for years, and I'm not a goals person, I'm really not. I, I don't sit down a lot and think about what my goals are for the week or for the month. Maybe I should be because there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, value in doing that, um, but when I have thought about it in previous years, I always come back to this one goal, which is very common amongst us who believe in Jesus. And that is hearing exactly what those servants heard in that parable. The servants who invested their talents and gained more back, what did they hear from their master? Well done, good and faithful servant. In fact, I think that's even going to be the culmination of of, of all the joy that ever could be had is in that moment if I hear that from my father. I think many of us are in the same boat. So we should retain that desire to please. To please our father. So that's the last characteristic of the child that I wanted to talk about. Um, but now that we've talked about some of that, uh, I, I'm gonna come now to the point and to the end of the talk. My point is that this, these endearing quality, qualities of children are good qualities because they are qualities of God himself. Because God himself is like this these endearing qualities of children are good qualities because they are qualities of God himself. Jesus said to his disciples in the same circumstance, if you look at Mark, what Mark recorded, that whoever welcomes a child, welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me, welcomes the father. And I don't think it's a far stretch to assert that Jesus said this because God is in fact, in some ways, childlike. Is God not innocent? Is God not humble? Think of the cross. Does God not love to and prefer to delight in his creation in us, desire to please us, to give praise and receive it? And so I think in these ways, children can be a better and truer picture of the face of God than we can be in these things. So to wrap it up, I just want to say that there's a great folly that can arrest us in the worldly, in the worldly transition from child to man. We can definitely slip up. For when we grow up, we tend to strive um, to be above others, to be looked up at, to, be, to have other people look up at us. That suddenly becomes important to us big people. But a child... He's constantly looking up. He looks up at us. He looks up at humanity. And he marvels at it. And I think maybe this is because that child may have a better idea of what God intended for this race of ours, this human race of ours. Maybe a child is closer to realizing that the original purpose of us all being here is to be a temple of and a showcase for the living God. Think about all that he looks up and he, just, he marvels at what we can do. Maybe we're supposed to marvel at what God has done. Maybe we're supposed to be full of God so that people can look up at him and marvel. So exchanging this humble wonder for power and prestige amongst our own um, is nothing short of tragic. Um, I think the Lord Jesus was trying to explain with this child that the humble wonder that we start with offers us a more truthful glimpse at what God is like. Um, So I just want to wrap up and say, I hope that the Lord grants us the grace to wonder at him and what he's done. Again, maybe we've lost that. Maybe we've lost the ability to wonder at his creation. Maybe we've lost the ability to be impressed at the mighty hand of God. Maybe we know the stories in the scriptures so well that we just kind of breeze over him when he split the sea for the Israelites to walk through. Maybe we should, be, we should marvel at the fact that for 40 years, there was a pillar of fire that nobody could explain any other way that led them through the desert for 40 years. Same thing that happened to them could happen to us. We can just lose the fact that God is strong. He's worthy of praise. So, I hope he gives us that ability once again, even the old souls amongst us, um, and that we would have the heart of the child ourselves, which better reflects him as he truly is. If you guys wouldn't mind bowing your head and closing your eyes here for a moment. And I just want to, want to encourage you to, to push out whatever distraction might be um, in your minds right now and just, just to think about what we've been talking about. We have marred creation with our sins, no doubt about it. But God does not intend to leave creation in this broken state. Nor does he desire that we remain in it or of it. God intends to restore it to what he intended it to be. Not a world full of corruption, but a world without it. You know, right before Jesus brought this child in front of the disciples to teach him, he he told the disciples that he would have to suffer at the hands of men which he did. He was pinned to a cross. The act of restoring creation began when God himself entered this world to save out of the old creation what mattered most to him. You. Us. Mankind. So, I don't, I don't know what what's happening inside of your heart right now, but I just want to offer an opportunity for anybody who maybe doesn't Know what it is to know Jesus. You don't understand maybe what 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 God had done for you until right now. And I just want to offer you an opportunity that if if you finally get it, if God is calling you, He's saying, "Come home, child. I died for you." If there's anybody in the room that that's hearing that call. We just lift up your hand briefly. I just want to pray for you. I want to pray with you, if that's anybody in this room. Don't want to miss anybody. Father loves all his children. All right? And Father, I I lift you up. God, as high as I possibly can, Lord, from this lowly position on the earth, God, we lift you up. You are worthy of praise and honor. God, I pray that you would restore all of these characteristics of of a child that you value to be innocent again, to stay away from the things that make us filthy, Lord, because it's it's being more like you. Father, help us to be humble, to not desire to look down on people, to not desire to have our way above any other way. God, to crucify that old person, that old man that wants that, Lord, to let you live by your spirit in us that we may humbly accept whatever whatever your will is for us. And Father, I also pray that you would help us not to lose our desire to please you. God, that that would be the the truest and, and biggest and the most blessed joy that we have in our lives is to please you again. Lord, we thank you for this example that you gave to us in the child. and pray that we would learn and take from it. In Jesus' name.